From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, July 14th. Have you seen a long-whiskered, web-footed carnivore swimming around the river lately? Well, the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources wants to know. Otters are an amazing and, and fun species, and they're oftentimes really hard to see and, and keep track of. Kim Hersey is the Mammal Conservation Coordinator for the DWR. The Northern River Otter is notoriously secretive, moves in wide ranges, and often in low densities, making it difficult for wildlife managers to know exactly where the creatures are and how prolific they might be. So one of the first things we want to know is, uh, where are they? This is the first time the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources is formally asking the public to help cite the animals. Hersey says they are calling on boaters, anglers, and other folks who might frequent Utah's river systems. Getting a better understanding of river otters in Utah will help inform the division's new management plan for the animals. Already from this effort, I've gotten around 40 sightings, and uh, a handful of those have been from the Colorado River surrounding Moab and, and Lake Powell, also on the Dolores River. Otters were classified as a rare species in Utah over 120 years ago, back when populations were threatened from trapping. Since then, it's been illegal to harvest river otters in the state. Several repopulation efforts in Utah and Colorado during the 1990s placed river otters in the Green and Dolores River systems, whose offspring, Hersey says, may be spotted in southeastern Utah today. The state considers otters a good indicator of how healthy an aquatic environment is in Utah, as the animals are a top predator. Like Hersey says, everything below them needs to, quote, be in pretty good shape for them to persist in an area. So you need clean water, um, generally nice meandering, flowing systems with areas to hide, and most importantly, fish. So if a river system is in its sort of natural state with healthy fish populations, that's what can support otters. According to Hersey, the division will work with anglers and other stakeholders before introducing more otters in Utah. But the first step is gaining an understanding of where they are and in what numbers. You can send photos or sightings of river otters to the State Division of Wildlife Resources by emailing utahotters at gmail.com. It's been over 10 weeks since Moab City and Grand County passed more rigorous noise ordinances aimed at quieting the town. The noise ordinances came at the behest of local citizens, mainly concerned with the sound of ATVs and UTVs roaring throughout the valley. So where are things now? According to Grand County Attorney Christina Sloan, law enforcement officers can and do cite OHVs for any speed limit or street legal violations. But when it comes to the noise ordinances, officers are still in the training and education phase. Back in May, the county led a voluntary noise testing event at Sand Flats Recreation Area. Employees at Sand Flats have been collecting data on the type of vehicles entering at the fee booth since mid-March. So far, the data shows that most off-highway vehicles, about 6,400 of them to be exact, are entering Sand Flats as part of a tour 
private OHVs and rentals are not so far behind. Their numbers are 5,300 and 4,300, respectively. The noise testing event was aimed at collecting more data and assisting law enforcement as they train on measuring vehicle noise using a stationary test. Attorney Sloan expects a second voluntary noise testing event to be held later this summer or early fall, so the new officers in Moab City's police department can be trained on the equipment. Chief Brett Edge says that since January 1 of this year, his police officers have made 82 traffic stops on OHVs and issued multiple citations to OHV drivers for speeding. According to Sanflot's data, overall visitation for OHVs has decreased since early June. The water levels behind the Colorado River's biggest dams are at record lows. And that means the historic drought in western states will probably start showing up in people's energy bills because those dams can't produce as much electricity. From KUNC, Luke Runyon has more. Standing at the base of Glen Canyon Dam in northern Arizona, the Colorado River flows out of Lake Powell cold and clear. On the canyon walls, moss grows where water from behind the dam seeps slowly through the red sandstone and the air buzzes with electricity. If money had a sound, this would be it. Bob Martin runs the dam for the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. Above our hard hats, thick metal transmission lines run from its powerhouse to towers on top of the canyon. When heat waves scorch the west, as they have this year, Martin says the dam can release more water to meet the ramped up energy demands in places like Colorado Springs, Mesa, Arizona, and the Navajo Nation. You can hear the electricity. It's keeping the lights on at businesses, the AC on at your home, power to the hospitals. Lake Powell is the nation's second largest reservoir. Later this month, it's projected to hit its lowest point since it first filled in the 1960s, warming temperatures from climate change and the West's inability to conserve are to blame. Inside the dam, water moves through generators to churn out power for 5 million people in seven western states. As the lake declines, its power production does too, because there's less water pressure to drive the turbines. Not enough hydraulic head, Martin says. The dam's capacity has dropped about 20% since the year 2000. It's not sustainable to continue to release that volume of water when you have, you know, not that much coming in. It's a difficult conversation in the sense that all we have to deliver is bad news. Clayton Palmer is with the Western Area Power Administration, or WAPA, which distributes the dam's power. He says with the lake on the decline, this year his agency will have to purchase millions of dollars in extra electrical power on the open market to fulfill their contracts. Conversations with their customers have been centered on how much less should you deliver or how much more should you raise your price. WAPA has already started the process to raise its rates by 14% for at least the next two years. The Colorado River's dams are still generating hydropower. What's uncertain is what another year as dry as this one could do to power production in the watershed. I think it's been described as a slow-moving train wreck. Eric Kuhn is the former general manager of the Colorado River District. Because it's taken us 22 years to go from full to where we are. Kuhn says it takes a series of back-to-back dry years to put the river's power production in jeopardy. 
Lake Powell has now seen two in a row. One more could set in motion a complete loss of hydropower at the reservoir. None of this should come as a surprise, says Eric Balkin of the Utah-based environmental group, the Glen Canyon Institute. You know, I think for a lot of people, the writing's on the wall. Balkin's group advocates drawing down Lake Powell on purpose, letting its water flow downstream to fill Lake Mead. Environmentalists have called for draining the lake for decades. They see its dam as a symbol of the West's water excesses. Doing so would also, of course, mean removing a major source of hydroelectricity. The Lake Powell we knew in the 80s and 90s probably isn't coming back. And as far as the climate data goes, you don't have to be a mathematician to, to see the trend line, right? Which shows temperatures likely to keep rising, putting strains on not just the region's water supply, but its energy grid, too. I'm Luke Runyon. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by KUNC in Colorado and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, July 14th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.